0: 14 and we're talking about Impressionism today. Uh, I'm Judy Curtis and with me today are David P. Curtis and Lorwyn Coninigo. It's not a great day today, it's been torrential rain uh, and so the, the painters aren't able to get outside with their easels so we've got our cups of coffee and our little snacks and we're gathered around the microphone to just talk about art and some of the things that really interest us. So when we talk about Impressionism, most people immediately think of Claude Monet and the French Impressionists, uh, which is perhaps where the word comes from and how it all started. Uh, But there's also uh, a way of seeing that it describes. As my teacher, Roger Curtis, used to say to me, you can't paint a tree, you can only paint the impression of a tree. Uh, And I think that probably is the, the wider idea of Impressionism. Um, so I'm uh, I'm going to go straight away to uh, to Connie and ask her about her impression of the impressionists. So take it away, Connie. Okay, thank you, Judy. <laughs> um,
1: well, I think that the impressionists that I I've been most interested in are Monet and Renoir because their work has been based on color, and I've been really so focused on color theories over the past four months, um, but I think the quintessential aspect of Monet's work has been based on the light, and the colorful palette has helped that him uh, interpret the light that he sees uh, before him. Uh, he he often mixed un uh, you know did did paintings with. Unmixed colors. That's what I was trying to say, <laughs> and directly onto his canvas. Um, and uh, again, that's something that I've been doing lately. Uh, trying to be more bold in in using primaries um, in in places where I think that they um, will create a dynamic effect. Um, the other thing that I'm struck by with the Impressionists, such as the, and, and this is Impressionists with a big eye, the movement of Impressionism, is uh, at, that they went outside the studio, that they went into um, the cityscapes, they were they were doing, uh, you know, people in outdoor cafes and uh, people on the streets, they were doing their gardens. Uh, Painting their own backyards, as we were talking about in a previous podcast, um, the, they were painting different aspects of weather conditions, lighting conditions. They may do like the other thing that was very interesting with Monet is that he used uh, he did Rowan Cathedral and he did it in all these different weather conditions, plus all these different seasons uh and realize that you could have something that's um as permanent as the you know the west side of the cathedral and that that uh that entrance could look different in all these different um uh, conditions weather conditions so um all these things are, are aspects of what we define now as Impressionism.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's interesting you talk about uh, Monet doing Rouen Cathedral because um, Harold Rotenberg, in the show that's just finished at the Cape Museum, he had four or five different sketches that were like uh, urban New York cityscapes that were done uh, presumably from a, a studio window or something like that, but they were all done at different times of the day, and that's what it reminded me of was the, the Monet... Just because it's the same subject, but at different times of the day it looks totally different and and these were pretty abstract, but they were kind of pleasing uh, and as David mentioned, you could look at those and you could almost think of um, you know towering rock structures in the uh, in the desert mm-hmm. um, because you look into them and you can see your own fantasy landscape kind of thing
1: yeah so, I think the other thing that um, I was struck by with the impressionists is that they instead of using the chiaroscuro or or light and dark contrast mm-hmm. they were looking at warm and cool yeah so they were seeing the the sky is blue cool against a sunlit mm-hmm. landscape you know and and all those uh, warm colors in the grass and and All of that was very different from the studio painters.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, David, you've been very quiet over there, so I have a question for you just before you go on your own rabbit trail. Is Would you class John Constable, the great English painter, as one of the first impressionists? He was going outdoors painting...
2: That's true. If if an impressionist is only uh, an impressionist because he goes outdoors and sets up outdoors in a landscape and does a landscape, is is that the definition of impressionism? I I think it's part of it. Uh, Constable certainly hints, hints at some things that look more impressionistic. I think Constable's paintings that he did do out of doors certainly has that quality of freshness that his studio pieces didn't have. And uh, I think some of the French uh, Impressionists were inspired by his look out of, out of doors and his freshness. He did little pochades, uh small little canvases on location, uh, such as the, his famous piece, The Hay Wayne, I believe. Mm-hmm. He did several little sketches. I think he even wrote to his brother yeah. to draw a picture of the this certain type of wagon that would have been used. and he put that in his picture and so you know no photographs but pictures mm-hmm. by his brother you know photo uh, images yeah. <laughs> of his brothers um, certainly I, I think being out of outdoors is part of the idea of capturing this kind said of, the fresh impression of what you see in nature
0: yeah because he did some beautiful sky pieces that were literally just sketches
2: right and they, and they and that was inspired a lot of uh, mm-hmm. outdoor but I think impressionism has includes all these things and I And I think it's kind of interesting why it comes about. Uh, I think the good definition would be it's an individual's or an artist's expression of, of an impression. What he sees, he puts down. So I think seeing is the key word. I think it's what we see. And then how we do it, that's the expression. And that's individual. That's everybody's an individual. So how we see could be just the definition. So I don't necessarily think you have to be outdoors to create an impressionistic work mm-hmm. of art. Uh, I think of George Innes. Uh, sort of yeah. Doesn't sort of have the color and the chromer of uh, the mm-hmm. French impressionists, but certainly his manner and his style is big and broad. And I think it's that bigness of sight, that, that unity of sight in one impression that sort of is one of the definitions of it. Um, also, too, they were breaking the rules from the academic traditions of the, the schools of painting in Paris. So the Impressionists get a sort of a little bit more of credit for creating this, this idea of Impressionism. But I think Impressionism, we, we find it popping up in the Russian schools. Um, so it might be one of those things that is sort of a... You talk about, the, Connie, you talk about the collective unconscious... Mm-hmm. That even though you don't have a direct relation to something, it, it, it arrives in your, your brain to, to execute and to paint that way. And we see it with uh, the difference between, say, Shishkin and Levitin in the Russian school. Levitin being more of the on the site and impressionistic. Uh, Shishkin, a little bit later, goes, he does go out of doors, but probably not, probably works mostly indoors and it refines things a lot. And I think uh, that's true that sometimes it's the moment you're capturing mm-hmm. as an impressionist.
0: Yeah what like direct painting
2: It's the direct painting and you bring up that word dalla la prima uh, you, you really think of people like Sargent and Soroya and Zorn who I think were were deemed impressionists as well, but sort of certainly didn't have that small little pointillist style that the French came up with. the broken color. Or Some people call it rice strokes or little dots and dabs of color. <laughs> uh, and it was it's a very true method. I mean, I think you can do a lot with that method of broken color um, and uh, execute a painting mm-hmm. with that. But I think um, that fell out of fashion, I think, in the 30s. So mm-hmm. point of list wasn't, wasn't as strong as what Sargent was doing with the bigger, broader brush strokes.
1: Yeah. I was also reading about uh, Pizarro uh, was really a true Impressionist and uh, bought into the school and was really involved in the movement of uh, Impressionism and, and did these terrific pieces, um, outdoor pieces of people gathering, you know, hay and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff like that. And then got on board, apparently, in this, this commentary that I was reading uh, with the uh, pointillism, uh, but didn't wasn't successful at it, and then moved back into the other more pure impressionistic style. Um, so it's a technique. Yeah, I was I was also going to mention something about the American impressionist Whistler. You know that that I think in some ways you can. Um, you know he took. Um, uh, he seemed to absorb lessons about Japanese prints, mm-hmm. and and then uh, Im- instead of imitating them, he interpreted those and then used them in landscapes that became very impressionistic of London and and things like that. And so I think that there are all kinds of ways in which we can can approach impressionism, you know, and it doesn't have to be in these, um, I mean, each person
2: has a different take on it. I think so. And if there is that difference, I think uh, Judy mentioned capital I, Impressionism, which mm-hmm. is the name of that particular group that showed together for many years and had many shows together. Uh, can we name all of the Impressionists, the French Impressionists? Well,
1: I know there was Sicily. Uh, actually, he's English. but um, And then Pizarro, Monet, Renoir, um, Manet, Degas.
2: Manet-Monet.
1: Yeah, the Manet <laughs> <Degas. laughs> Without The gas. What about Our Lady? Oh, yes, and Barrett Marisot. Mm-hmm. Barrett
2: Marisot. Yes. Yeah. She she yeah, very, yeah, she was very much and, in that group. And in some ways, looking at her work, I think she was the, in that style and in that group Yeah, was the most successful at the thought. I don't really see Degas as that impressionist. That um, in the in the definition and and when they all hung together, they must have all looked very different. So to say there was one group painting one way, I don't think necessarily is mm-hmm. is, uh, is ever been true. It's just, I think sometimes the art historian. Uh, enjoys it because it's a way of grouping painters yeah, together. It
0: is, and that's the whole idea of categorizing art. I don't think artists want to be pigeonholed as well, they're a marine painter, a landscape painter, a portraitist, because that means as soon as they try to step outside of that box, people don't like it because, well, you know, you're supposed to be over here doing this, not over there doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that brings me to an idea about, you know, from Charles Hawthorne, who would tell his students realize the value of putting down your first impression quickly, which is a way of, you know, getting back to the idea of a way of seeing. It's not so much a, a way of painting it, but get that big picture down, uh, which is nothing to do with the French Impressionists. So when, when you talk about, as you say, capital I Impressionists, it's a, a particular group, and then you, you get people from every other country who are just doing Impressionist paintings and impression of what they see. What was it, an expression, an impression of a visual expression? It's an
2: individual's expression of an individual, uh, of his own impression. In other words, it's still something you see, and I think that's the essence of Mm -hmm. what impressionism is. It's, I think, if you were to say just the pure, uh, what the dictionary says an impression is, Mm -hmm. it's something you see, it makes an impression on you.
0: Are you able to close? <laughs> uh, I
1: was sensing too that that impressionism has a lot to do with, with, with being outdoors and getting a sense of the atmosphere. Right. That that you don't get that in a studio and and in something that is very uh, orchestrated and and set up in a still life and with all the lighting yeah.
2: and. Yeah, people like, like Winslow Homer could do a sea, roaring seascape in the studio, mm-hmm. and he would capture those elements of nature, you might say. But in the yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, so I think there's that quality. I think the big difference might be uh, technical yeah. wise, if you were to separate the luminous, and there's certainly a bigger school nowadays, too, of the new luminous, uh, mm-hmm. in relation to Impressionism. I think you might say there's, there's a difference there. Um, I think this all comes about right around the same time. I think we see Manet championing uh, the great Spanish master Velazquez, mm-hmm. and um, uh, around that same time, I think Vermeer sort of comes out of the. Um, I was going to say closet, but I don't think no, no. Vermeer came out of the <laughs> closet. Hobby. Pardon me, but uh, no, it was this rediscovered? <laughs> and uh, it was the Boston School, right, Judy, that yes. you will know the history, uh, that championed both of these painters. So there must be something in those two painters that suggests mm. an impressionist look or a scene that, uh, you know, a seeing yeah. of, of what, how they would go about seeing an well, image.
0: Yeah, isn't that sort of like the lost and found... In a painting, that if you can't see it, then don't paint it. You know, just because you know there's an ear on the other side of the head. If it's in shadow and not seen, then you don't put in right. something that you right. that that's not uh, uh, observable. Because well, I, I think Comey's I the think only there one were a lot of
2: Beninas, right?
1: Yeah, in person. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I saw it at the, in at, at the Pro, uh, Prado. Prado. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's fabulous! It's fantastic, okay. and. Um, and there are a lot of um, I I think too that there's a lot of soft edges and and soft transitions from one color note to the next mm-hmm. in impressionistic paintings and uh, no and I saw that in in Velasquez's mm-hmm. uh, even know, though the pieces. color was uh, subdued well his his are very dark and um, and punctuated by strong color at, at in places but um, but again that was a that was
2: the style at that time. Yeah. The out of focus. And I think yeah. Vermeer uh, just to, uh, did a similar thing, and especially if you look at what those painters did at the time they did those paintings. Velasquez, and if you look at his, um, his neighboring painters or the painters of the same era as he, he really developed something that was kind of unique for the time. You mean El
1: Greco and
2: Well, I think, uh, I was thinking Sororio. of Rivera. Um, I remember taking the, uh, going on a field trip with the little kids, uh, sixth graders, mm-hmm. to the MFA to study Impressionism. And um, I wanted to get my point across that Velasquez was probably an Impressionist too. But I didn't have time. And then the teacher said, I'm taking these children to the, Lou uh, and uh, David, would you watch these other children? Well, we're standing right in front of Velasquez, and I pointed out the look at the way this gentleman has painted the hand in relation to the head versus this Ribera of, um, I think it was St. Jerome in the Wilderness, Mm -hmm. in which all the the artist had depicted every little knuckle and vein and Mm cut in his hand. Velasquez had seen the unity of the hand. And I was pointing out, and little girl said, "But Mister Curtis, he—that gentleman's a lot older than
0: this one." <laughs> yeah, I love it. No,
2: They're
0: very observant. Yeah. But
2: I think it points out the the yeah the bigness, and I think that was one of our ideas here: the wholeness is really what uh, an impressionist is striving for—not just a special effect in nature, but the unity of that special effect.
1: Mm-hmm. I think too. Um, we're looking at the way in which they boldly put colors down. Like if they saw a green in a face, they would put the green in there. Mm. They would put the, the pinkish-orange hue, uh, and they would put it boldly and without any kind of subtlety you know, or, or softening that note. They say, you know, this is a strong note. I
2: put mm-hmm. it in, you
1: know. Mm. So but
2: that brings up, I mean, I brought up Vermeer and Velasquez in the Boston School. So impressionism comes to America, arrives in America, Judy. Mm-hmm. You're the historian. Can you enlighten <laughs> us a little bit more about that?
0: No, just because I'm old doesn't mean I'm a historian. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, yes, I was going to sort of move into that. So we talk about the French Impressionists, and there were a lot of the, as that was coming to the fore in Paris, there were a lot of American art students who were studying at the academies, uh, and they were sort of fascinated by this idea of of these French impressionists going out with these very high key palettes uh, and the effects they were getting. So when they returned to America, a lot of them began teaching, like Benson and Tarbell, um, Paxton. They they were you know in the in in the Boston area the the museum school, so they're influencing another generation of artists with their ideas. Uh, and because they were practising artists, it was easy for would-be artist students to to understand where they were coming from rather than some administrator coming along and saying, well, you've got to do it like this because it says so in the book. Uh, so, so these artists began doing these... Uh, a way of painting with this sort of higher-key colour and these lost and found edges. But they also were going outdoors, particularly in the summer. There were so many summer schools around the New England that these students would then go outdoors and paint. And many of them came up to Cape Ann. We know that you know Gloucester, Rockport had a huge contingency of, of artists and their students would just follow them up there. And there was so much material to paint around the harbours and the fishing fleets. Uh, there was something to paint right outside the door, which meant you didn't have to carry heavy oil painting equipment a distance you could just set up as soon as you stepped outside so there were a lot of things that created these artist colonies on on Cape Ann probably down in Provincetown and up in Agonquit there were a lot of different places and of course the east coast was foremost in in providing these you know these students with the wherewithal to to be able to go out and and start studying and so um the Americans though didn't like the way the French were sort of just throwing the colour in there, maybe broken colour notes, but they were losing some of the form. The colour was supposed to represent the form. But they wanted to... The Americans tried to keep more of a drawing ethic. They felt that you still needed to think about that. So they kind of uh, combined this academic look with the high-key colour look to make it look more natural. And so um, they sort of created... And, of course, you got the American genre they were painting. So this became... Um, American Impressionism, particularly when they were out-of-doors painting. Um, And I think that's that's this country's prime um, contribution to the art world, because Mm. art in Europe and um, the Far East and all over, it had been around for years, even before America was discovered. So there was so much that painters were already doing uh, at that time, so that when America came along... They, didn't, they were copying a lot of what they were doing in Europe. They would always go to, to study in Europe until the uh, you know, late 1800s when suddenly these American students were coming back and bringing their ideas back with them. And then suddenly America had its own sort of basis for, uh, for painting.
2: But this was sort of unknown, wasn't it? I mean, the first book I ever saw about Impressionism didn't come out until the 70s. American Impressionism. Up until then, Impressionism was only associated oh. with that group of French painters. Yeah. Uh, but w- it, was, well, it, it took a long time for... Uh, who was it who? William Gertz? Gertz, William Goetz uh, one of the American um, Impressionists. Some books. of the first understanding that the, these Americans were very good, if not great, uh, Impressionists.
0: Yeah, you could probably buy yeah. a, an American Impressionist painting for um, a very reasonable price you know, back in the seventeen 80s, they probably brought up all the French Impressionist paintings and then when there weren't any more available, okay, we'll have to look mm-hmm. for the Americans and, and see what they're doing. And then they came to the fore because they, they were very highly skilled painters. Mm-hmm. And the kind of work they were doing and the subjects they were choosing, I think, resonated with the, you know, the American public. Do you think that you're still...
1: Um like I know that you're writing a lot about some of the, the um, y- you know, current American painters that have mm-hmm. recently died. and um, yes. Do you think that it's still developing? That we're still seeing a kind of uh, uh, maybe almost a renaissance or a, a, a revival of looking and, at American Impressionism? Well,
0: I think people like me and people like you and David are trying to create that that feeling that there's still a lot more to discover. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep yeah. you keep these artists in the public eye. There's It's sad, yes, when you look around, there's a lot of artists I knew when I first came over here who are no longer with us, and I'm writing mm-hmm. books about deceased artists, um, and I knew some of these people, so it's, it makes you really think that you've got to get as much information down. All artists should create some kind of record of their work, where they've been, what they've done, what they think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know art should speak for itself, but it's also very useful for people when when you have been researched right. in years to come. It's good to, to know what, what you think, because the worst thing is to try and um, put your interpretation to somebody else's work. Uh, there's so many critics who look at you know great works of art and they're always telling you what the artist was thinking when that might not be what they had in mind at all mm. so um, it's nice to enjoy a beautiful painting but when you start interpreting well you know were they depressed when they did this or what was their sexual orientation and how did it affect their work right. does that really matter if it's a beautiful painting it's
2: well, I, th- I think that's why the impressionist shows, whether it's European, Sargent, the last good show I saw was Sargent or Chase. Um, I, I think the upbeat quality of the color and mm-hmm. the characterization, we talked about backyard, It may, in that sense, it's like your own backyard. It's, mm-hmm. it's open to what's going on today. It's not hearkening back to the mythologies of the past or the classical period in which the 19th century uh, painters painted it. I I think it's that upbeat look that people like the average mm. Joe who m- might not be an intellect quote unquote. Mm. Um, I I think likes paintings that are happy or is that wrong?
0: No, I think no, I think we I need think that these good. days. You know, we're bombarded with artificial color from all this technology. Um, I think having a painting on on the wall is is gives you a more of a serene feeling where you can look in it. You can. You know, walk into a beautiful landscape in your own mind and enjoy just sort of wandering around in it. But people don't want to have paintings on the wall quite as much these days. Or if they do, maybe they have to be muted, subdued colors because we don't want uh is is you know the high key palette is it threatening because it's too much color. But I think as you say, high key color tends to be upbeat. It makes you feel happy, joyous just to look at something like that. Mm. Yeah.
2: I, I think it's true. I remember the Monet show at the MFA many years ago that we saw. Um, it was interesting because I think they had like half of the Haystack series. And mm-hmm. you brought up the Cathedral series in which he really mm-hmm. was not only different uh, weather conditions and different seasons, but different times of day that he would capture mm-hmm. the different lights on the Cathedral. And I think he did it several times. I think he did it with the uh, river Sane, mm-hmm. the Seine River. I think you did it in different times. And then, of course, he ends up doing the, the lilies, the, the lily right. pond he yeah, creates. Yeah, and I think it's a big yeah. uh, diorama in, mm-hmm. in, in the studio. Um, but the haystacks in this room I thought was interesting. And I, and I remember standing there, and I was standing next to Judy, and uh, we had the boys and my mother. And we all looked, and I said, well, I like that haystack. And then Drew said, but I like that haystack. And then Sam would say, I like that haystack. And I realized, boy, he had a gold mine there. Yeah. By doing a series of the same subject matter, everybody would say, well, no, I like this one. And so he was able to well, sell them all.
0: They didn't, yeah, they didn't have G-clays back then, I don't think. So if you, rather than doing the same one over and over, if you do the same one, but in a different, slightly different light, yeah. and then... Some people like, well, this is too bright, but I like this one. This is, you know, sunrise or sunset or whatever it is.
2: But I, I do think Monet came up with so many great theories about what a yeah. landscape painter can, uh, should do and should look at and how to go about it. I, yeah. I think he did really come well, up with them. it's
0: a shame then that he didn't teach because I know, yeah. he, you know he didn't even paint with a lot of people. Um, you have to be really special to be sort of into this inner, inner circle. But Lilla Cabot Perry championed his work when she came back from France, came back to Boston. She was a member of the uh, Guild of Boston Artists, great painter. Uh, And she was championing his work and and sort of repeating what Monet had said about painting. And that's all we've got of of his theories on on painting and teaching. Uh, wasn't,
2: Wasn't her father on the MFA board, Museum of Fine Arts board? And she, her influence might have brought all those oh, wonderful Monets into um, the MFA. I'm, I'm sure
0: it did. But what I mean is, if he had been an actual teacher, if he'd been able to go around and and help mentor, you know, oh. students, how would they, you know, would he have had an even greater effect on the world mm. of painting today, or would he? The trouble is that when you're a teacher you're not necessarily known as a painter. You know, it seems like people have to separate you. You can't be... You know, look at Frank Vincent de Monde. He was a wonderful painter, but you don't see many of his pieces because everybody knows he's a teacher, and that's what he's they, they remembered mm. for. Um, I, was, I was <laughs> thinking that the other thing that we haven't... We, we
1: haven't brought up Cezanne. And Cezanne mm-hmm. was uh, was a teacher. Yeah. Uh, an impressionistic teacher. Colorist. <laughs> and a great colorist. And... Um, and w- had a following mm-hmm. of these uh, these French Impressionists mm-hmm. that we were talking about. And, and I think that um, he needs to be brought into the picture because he did bring together, you know, all these different ways of looking at the colors uh, of, um, I think, augmenting contemporary, uh, or what am I trying to say? <laughs> um, I don't know. Complementary. No, complementary color yes. contrasts. Because he was taking things like, you know, red and green and and yellow and violet and orange and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, blue. And he was, uh, especially in the apples and oranges piece that he Mm -hmm. has, you know, he was bringing those together in a very uh, clear but dynamic and planned way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, something that we're talking about when we talk about spontaneity in Impressionism. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a lot of spontaneity, but there was also... Uh, at least from from the the literature on Cezanne and how he taught, he taught a uh, a terrifically planned and organized way, you know, and um, and so that's that's another aspect of Impressionism that I think that we need to yeah
0: maybe we focus can uh, get to that uh, another day because we're <laughs> yeah. uh, coming to a close. Dave, any last thoughts from you? Well,
2: as I say, I think Impression is a great movement. It certainly Change things. Uh, I mean, I I sort of admire the impressionists and, and are inspired by looking at their works to go out and do um, uh, uh, landscapes. I think was their main thrust. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's very true. That's helped me, and especially I, I in my own opinion I like the American impressionists better. Yes, I see people like Edgar Payne, mm-hmm. Aldo Hibbard. Oh, yeah. Uh, Guy Rose out west, uh, um, down in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Daniel Garber. I think, I just think that they captured, they took all the ingredients that the Impressionists had had and assembled them in sort of a cleaner look, a a better way of presenting it. Yeah. And I I sort of admire the Americans uh, a little bit more, but it wouldn't have have happened if it wasn't for the, the, the French.
0: Yeah no i think there's some uh, that that's a great opinion because i think the fact that particularly the painters out west had these enormous expanses of desert and beautiful skies that the french you know didn't have as beautiful as the french countryside is um, yeah the americans really had something special with the the way they uh, they interpreted it and um so Connie is writing a note here, Guy Rose, are we talking about Guy Rose because he's great? Maybe we should talk about the California Impressionists as a separate thing because I think some of their pieces were terrific. Yeah, that's uh, true. Well,
2: I, I think we should talk about the American School of Painting. yes yeah, uh, that would be And And uh, the question I always ask students is, uh, what American artist can you think of that could stack up in some of those... Uh, halls and legions of great academic painters, is there any American painter that sort of comes into that category? or even Gilbert Stewart sort of sort of looks impressionistic in a lot of his portraiture. Yeah, you know
0: yeah. Well, those are all questions for another day. So uh, before I leave, um, I think I said that this was episode fourteen. It might actually be fifteen. I've lost count, so don't pay any attention to what I said at the beginning. Um, and so we'll uh, uh, get organized uh, for the rest of the day here. I think it stopped raining. Maybe the painters are going to go out and paint. Uh, I just want to leave you with a quote here. David was talking about George Innes. Uh, and as we're talking about Impressionism, here's a quote from George Innes. We are all the subjects of impressions, and some of us seek to convey the impressions to others. In the art of communicating impressions lies the power of generalizing without losing the logical connection of parts to the whole which satisfies the mind. Isn't that wonderful that people could express themselves like that years ago? These days I find it very hard to put two words together. What what happened to us? Exactly, what happened to us? And so uh, we'll leave you with that thought. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. And we'll see you next week. (laughs)